This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome to the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast. My name is Kayla, and today I have a special guest on here with me. His name is Brian, and he is a mindfulness and mindset coach. And we got connected through a mutual friend on Facebook. And what happened was I really was drawn to his energy and his positivity around mindfulness and mindset. And I just decided that this was the person that I wanted to have interview on my podcast channel. So I have him here with me today. Brian, thank you so much for allowing me to interview you and have you on here. And I would love if you could tell us about yourself and we're just going to dive right into our conversation. Perfect. Well, thank you. And I'm, uh, I'm grateful to be here and I love everything you're doing as well. So I really appreciate it. Well, I live in the Toronto area currently. Uh, I'm a mindset and mindfulness coach. And it's something that um, it's been, you know, the last couple of years or so that I've really narrowed my focus on this. I have had quite a life. I mean, a lot of different things um, going all the way back, um, you know, to engineering days. I worked in corporate for, for a number of years, and then I got into, uh, became an entrepreneur, had some uh, early success, which uh, I wasn't really ready to handle at that time. And, um, you know, so it was kind of a, a, a fun time, but a crazy time where I was really, um, you know, I kind of felt like I was always sort of on a path, but it was really wide lanes and I was bumping off each side along the way. And, um, you know, along the way, um, I started to kind of discover, I guess I call my spiritual path. I've always felt that was in me. And it's, it's interesting because whenever I tell my story and I reflect back to my life, it's interesting that it kind of all goes back to childhood. You know, it seems like I was on a path then and really, really quite self-aware and, really, really grounded. I grew up kind of in the country, so sort of outside of uh, Peterborough, Ontario, like in a farming kind of area. My grandparents were farmers, and uh, the other side, they had a, a little place in the lake, so I got to spend a lot of time in nature. So kind of come full circle, I guess, in my reconnection to that sort of feeling and, you know, being able to sort of connect with that, but uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff in between. I love that. And you know, what's so funny. I, I love what you said about growing up in nature because I had the same experience. So I'm, I'm 30 years old and I really got to experience like as a child growing up in nature and just my imagination being so wild and feeling so connected and grounded. And then I remember at 10 years old, that's when we got our first computer. And then I didn't get a cell phone until I was 17. And then I watched my sisters who were eight and 10 years younger than me get all of that technology and stuff like a decade before I did. And so what you're saying with this whole full circle is that I really did feel like a spiritual being as a child being having this connection to nature. And then now being like 30 years old, the last couple of years, especially really going into personal development and feeling more connected with myself, like I did when I was a kid. So I, I love that you shared that. And I would love if you could, can you elaborate a little bit more on what's opened up for you since you reconnected with that? Because I think this is such a huge opportunity for adults in particular to get reconnected with their younger self, because there's so much that we can learn from ourselves that we don't even realize. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And it's amazing how intuitive kids are. And, you know, I'll talk a little bit later about my kids and, and just what you said about, you know, we're, we're kind of inside that generation. I mean, I've got 18 years on you, but we still both grew up without a computer and will die relying on one. So it's a, it's a interesting sort of transition where now the kids grow up with, with a device in their hands. But uh, going back to your, your question, I mean, I think that along the way somewhere, you know, when we, when we have success and we chase external gratification and we look for certain measures of success in, uh, in life and, you know, a lot of it revolves around what we think material wealth and things that we think that will make us happy. And then when we acquire those things, we realize that, you know, that's not necessarily fulfilling. It's, it's temporary, you know, and as you sort of, to start to become more aware of yourself and might, you know, I've been meditating for about 12 years, I guess. And, you know, I guess the beginning of that was kind of on and off a little bit. I was kind of playing both sides of the fence. I call it my light and my dark side back then, but really it all, all paths sort of lead back to what's inside. And it's that sort of, you know, not to go completely woo woo right out of the gates here, but there's that divine energy that we all are. We come from who we truly are. And, you know, when we're in nature, when we're just connected and we're simply being present in the moment, we feel much closer to that. And it's almost the, the more you practice being closer to that feeling and embodying that feeling, that gives you that space to really kind of reset and recalibrate. And really within there is where you can suddenly sort of let some of that fear go and the judgment and all the things that we get stuck in when we're rolling around in our minds most of the time worrying about the future and dwelling on the past where we get back to that real divine energy and, and reset. And then that's where the creativity is and the love and, and the kindness and the gratitude, but it's a practice. And, and in this world we're in today, it's very difficult for some people to have the opportunity to connect to that feeling because it's just so much noise and so much distraction, especially in, in heavy urban areas. Oh Yeah. I started meditating. So I lived in Toronto for three years, actually, from 2016 to 2019. I was a personal trainer. And that's when I started getting deeper into, you know, personal development. I was doing a lot of landmark courses and, and seminars. And then I started meditating more. And that was my way of being grounded. And it's so interesting because what you were just sharing was I was literally imagining walking through a forest and nature. And it's, there's just so much stillness, right? And with that, there's no distractions. Like you were talking about this reaching for more and wanting more material things and thinking that's going to satisfy us. And it's not because that's not what is meant to satisfy us. When we go and we have this calmness, what happens is there's no distractions. So then we have the opportunity to, like you said, like come back to ourselves and be present. And I think that some people are so used to that fight or flight you know, the grinding or working hard, at least that's how I felt when I lived downtown Toronto, is, is that when, when you suddenly have this time to be with yourself, especially this year in the pandemic, where people are at home and they're quarantined and you can't run around and, and do things and distract yourself, you have to be with your, your shit, essentially, is that it can be really confronting. But like you said, that really is where you can have a clear mind and, and think about what you're thinking about which really then allows you to be connected with what you want to create. And so 
yeah, I, I really love the direction this conversation is going in. And when you talk about divine energy and like going woo woo, you can go as deep as you want because <laughs> I'm a law of attraction coach and I'm all about energy work, energy healing. Like I love that. So we can totally go in that direction. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And, and you mentioned um, the pandemic. I mean, this, this year in particular, it's been uh, that type of year where people have really had to sit with their shit and, you know, obviously some people will try to escape through uh, something, to, you know, a bottle or, or anything Netflix, but eventually all that stuff gets old and, and you're just stuck with yourself and we just squirm and we don't, we want to fight that and resist it as much as possible but it's such a such an empowering thing to sit with your shit really feel it soak in it and then you can actually start to let some of that stuff go or at least become a little more self-aware of what that is and you know it kind of opens your eyes in terms of how you can heal and how you can feel lighter and and you know really find a little bit more joy in your life yeah so my question is and you can share this doesn't have to be from a personal experience but even just what you've observed with your clients and even just generally speaking this year with the pandemic, why do you think it is people have such a hard time being with themselves? Well, I just think the last few years, I, I honestly think that um, all of this ha is happening as sort of like some kind of cycle of natural reset of energy. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, I, and let me be clear, like if there's people listening who are, who have lost their business this year or lost loved ones. I mean, I, I don't want to, to, um, you know, to pass over that and, and not think that's important. But I mean, I really think that it's got to the point where it was just more and more and more and more. Like it was, we're, we're kind of a culture of the next shiny object. It was always sort of being anywhere but yourself. Okay. I'm going to, I'm on the next flight. I'm on the, I'm at the next restaurant. I'm at the next party. I just bought the next car. I just got the next thing. And really, the culture has been becoming more that way. So, I mean, really, this has forced people to sort of stop all that. And, you know, I'm, um, you know, and I know a lot of those people and you know, I'm friends with a lot of those people. And it's, um, it was, um, it was really fascinating to see at first how much pain they were in. It was just like, you know, everything that, you know, if they were active on social media, it was just like, it was just fucking everything. They're like, ah, this sucks, you know, and, and there's still people who are really, really angry, you know, and they want to blame uh, COVID for everything that's wrong in their life. But, you know, and you mentioned my clients, like uh, a lot of my clients were, you know, there's, it's, it's had, they've had a hard time with this, but I mean, it's, it's really is an opportunity to, to sort of develop a practice where you can start to find a little bit of peace and just being in the moment on your own with nothing happening around you. And, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, I just can't stop my head, my, my thoughts. And, you know, the more you try to stop your thoughts, the worse it's going to get. It's just a matter of just surrendering, just following your breath for a moment. If nothing else, you know, just a little bit of peace. But I mean, um, I think there has been people that have used the opportunity this year to, to look a little closer and, I think we're still a ways away from being out of the woods on this. So, um, you know, here everyone's trying to write 2020 off, but 2021 is just a different number and it's going to be more of the same. Oh yeah. And, you know. Oh yeah. I totally, I totally hear you on that. Um, I think I was laughing because my birthday was in March. It was March 18th. It was like literally right at the cusp of when 
we went into lockdown. And in my head, I remember thinking that, I was like, oh, we'll be out of this by June. And then here we are in June. Things kind of opened up again. And then they just spiraled and everything's closing down, right? And so now I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm spending like this year's birthday in lockdown. Like it's just, that, that's just how it is, right? And, and like you said, it really is an opportunity to do that reflection and, and inner work. And, and so we, we're talking, we're obviously speaking a lot about meditation right now indirectly, but I would love, can you share some of your favorite ways of meditating or the different ways that you meditate that you think are the most effective that you, that you do for yourself and you share with your clients? Yeah, for sure. So um, I personally focused a lot on, on uh, breath work and I know breath work may not be considered a meditation, but I, I, I bundle sort of breath work with meditation. Uh, I was very fortunate to uh, get, have a mentor and still do it to this day. His name is Dr. Stefan Travaux, and he's the founder of uh, the Mindfulness Center uh, in Oakville, Ontario. And it's actually mindful.ca. So he was one of the first people in this country to start uh, doing the MBSR, which is the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program. It's like an OHIP-covered program. And so uh, in 2013, I went and saw him. I got my doctor to refer me just because I was already meditating, but I wanted to kind of go deeper. And I was able to make that connection. I've been part of his um, mastermind ever since. So it's, uh, it's deep mindfulness techniques, but he's also a, a psychiatrist and psychotherapist. So he works with um, you know, patients um, you know, who go to a level beyond where meditation can sort of uh, help them in, in whatever they're dealing with. But uh, I like to marry the two together. So uh, essentially, oftentimes I like to have people do some type of breath work, um, a box breathing, which is basically um, uh, like a pranayama type of breath work, where it's just you're really just kind of slowing your breathing rate down by you know, breathing in for four seconds, holding for four seconds, releasing for four seconds, holding for four seconds, just over and over and over again. And that starts to calm the mind down a little bit. Um, I also like to do um, uh, Tumo breathing, which is uh, very similar to the Wim Hof method. And uh, I find that people that do a few rounds of that deeper breathing, I mean, outside of, in addition to all the uh, physical benefits of that, that um, it does create an adrenaline spike when you hold your breath. It's very similar to a bungee jump, they say in, in you know, university studies. So a couple times of a, overcoming a stress response to that level, it really brings you down to a point where people's bodies are finally starting to be still because we use arms and legs as a door of avoidance. The brain will just, nah, I, I can't sit still, you know, that tapping foot thing, you know, that's so yeah. <laughs> all calm down. And then they can sort of get back into that place where they can just start to follow the breath and their body is still. And, you know, I do f focus a lot on, on proper called dynamic alignment, making sure the spine is straight, trying not to rest on anything which can introduce rigidity into your practice, just kind of kind of floating there upright, you know, with gravity. And um, it's just following the breath initially. And then when you start to lose your way with thoughts, just gently redirecting your attention back to the breath. Very, very simple. But there's other techniques I drill down into further than that, where we might do like one-pointed attention, uh, allowing and letting be, and there's all kinds of different variants, but a lot of it just really is about connecting the mind to the body because a lot of us are walking around, we're just like this left brain on a stick buzzing around in our heads, and we have no idea what's going on in our bodies until something breaks, we get sick, or we just can't figure out why we're, uh, like you said, 
fight or flight, we got one foot on the gas, one foot on the brake, and uh, something's going to break when that happens. Oh, yeah. I, I'm so happy you brought up breathwork because I've definitely talked about it on my channel a couple of times, and I've had um, a few breathwork instructors come in and, and share, and I've done breathwork myself, where more of the, I'm totally forgetting his name. Did you say, is it Wim Hoffman? Wim, Wim Hof. Wim Hof. Okay. Yeah. So have you heard of the Netflix show called The Goop? Yes. So yeah, he has with, a, uh, Paltrow, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he has, they have a, an interview episode with him on there. And so he talks about like cold water therapy and his, his breath work, right? And so I had heard, I'd seen, the, <laughs> I saw the episode first. And then I was like, oh my God, I want to try breath work. So there's a meditation center in Vancouver called Zen Den. And that's where I got certified in Reiki. I started going to sound bowl classes and I've done breath work there as well. And it, it is really powerful. And I remember the first class I went to, so I did the, the more deeper breathing that Wim talks about. And, you know, to do that for 20, 25 minutes, like it was, it was crazy to see the body sensations that I went through. It was like a lot of tension. And then at the end, this sounds a little bit nutty, but you're supposed to scream as a release and, and just, or laugh or cry or whatever it is. And I remember the very first time I did this, I, I cried. Like I absolutely just like, bald and my body w went so rigid and it was just unbelievable because I felt fine up until that point and it was such a release like I felt so calm after because I was able to move that energy that was deep inside of me right and yeah. then the second time I did it I went into absolute hysterics laughing like I just I could not stop laughing like it was just one extreme to the other and then the third time I did it, I went back to crying and so it was just like so interesting to see the physical sensations that come with breathing and how underestimated it is because like we cannot live without breathing and it's something we don't think about and i also read a book recently on gratitude and one of the things that came up was like having gratitude for your breath and i was like wow so i brought this into a meditation one day where that entire meditation for 15 minutes was simply me paying attention to my breath and having gratitude for every breath and it was it was such a powerful meditation and i think that breathing is we just we just forget about it because it's so automatic right yeah you just said so many amazing things i get goosebumps because i'm i am absolutely fanatical about breath i mean you said breath is life it sure is and i mean twenty thousand breaths a day most people don't take one conscious breath and it's like the only autonomic uh function in the body that we have conscious control over as well so we breathe it on our own or we can breathe ourselves consciously or, you know, pay attention to the breath. But um, it's interesting you're talking about um, your experience. So I think you might be talking about um, another step up from like Wim Hof, which is um, there's holotropic breathing and then there's rebirthing breathing. And it's like a, a trauma release type breath work. So uh, 20 minutes or so you mentioned, right, where you keep, I don't know if you're just doing shallow breathing, but um, I'm, I'm very good friends with a, uh, a breathing coach in New Zealand. Um, and I actually had him as a guest in my group recently. And I brought my, my group is used to going from, you know, just doing subconscious breathing to, you know, Wim Hof stuff, which it's a nice daily practice. This is something you might do once a month or something. And what happens it actually through the breath, you can access the subconscious mind. And if you set a little bit of an intention or, direct somebody at the beginning. So he would do something like, you know, what is something that you felt a lot of shame about as a child? Or what was something that your parents did to you that, you know, really hurt you or, or, you know, a couple of little questions. 
he leads you through this breath work, at some point you feel like you lose consciousness. And like you said, um, screaming, I, I did an anger breath work session with him and I've had anger in my life and it's, you know, I've overcome that, but I was literally kicking and screaming on the floor of my office. I didn't know. I didn't tell my family. I was, I told my family I was just doing the session, but they didn't know. <laughs> they had to pick the lock. And I looked up, my kids were standing over me freaking out and crying because I'm having a tantrum on the floor and there's tears flying everywhere. But afterwards I felt so light. It was just like, you can literally with through the breath, um, get the same type of benefit that maybe years of therapy would, would give you in one session, yeah. that kind of release, you know, it's so super powerful. Oh yeah. And, and you mentioned the, uh, being grateful just for the breath. Um, uh, so two weeks ago I did, um, I did an ayahuasca retreat and for, for whatever reason, this particular session was very cerebral for me, but I was very connected to my breath throughout the whole practice or the whole practice, the whole session um, ceremony. And at one point I was so grateful for every single breath that I was falling fully and fully out. Like just that it was just every tears were streaming down my face. I was so grateful for that breath. <laughs> oh <laughs> so my gosh. Yeah, I've, I've definitely, I've talked about ayahuasca before on my channel as well. And so if you want to share a little bit about that, because it's funny that um, actually a couple of things, what you were saying about uh, the breathing with it being one of our organs or like our lungs and everything that we can either consciously control or it just subconsciously runs on its own. And that's, that's something that I don't think a lot of people know. And I love that you brought that up because I learned that in university when I was studying, you know, kinesiology courses. So I think that's like such an important thing for people to realize that this is one of the biggest gifts we have as a human. This is an organ that gives us life that we can either consciously pay attention to, or it just, it's just going to take care of us either way. And um, so that's kind of a side note, but to go back to the ayahuasca thing, I've been very interested in this and wanting to do it. And when I have conversations with people who have done it, it they will say that it's a calling, like you'll be called to do it. Right. And, and so I would love, if you want to share a little bit about it, was that your first ceremony that you did or have you done a few now? Yeah. So uh, my first one was actually 2012 and my cadence has basically been once every two years. I feel that, uh, after each session, the, the time it's taken to me to integrate and process what I, I sort of learned or um, experienced was, you know, every two years. But uh, yeah, just most recently was December. I mean, this one for me, everyone is different. And, you know, it's one thing about ayahuasca is that there's very little point explaining to somebody what's going to do for them because, <clears throat> excuse me, you don't even know what's going to do to for you. It's really something that... Um, it, the medicine gives you what you need in that moment. And when you enter a ceremony like that, it's basically um, you set a clear intention of what you hope to accomplish in that session. And you might get something around that, or you might be steered in a completely different path, but it's, um, it's such a powerful tool in the spiritual journey. If you are on that path already and you want a, a, another look, I kind of call it like a peek under the curtain to the truth because you know, this three-dimensional reality based on our five senses that we live in and this construct of beliefs, all of that is just a construct and it's all an illusion. And this just rips the veil right off that. And it scares shit of a lot of people because it's scary <clears throat> to go face first into what's happening, you know, in your subconscious and the unknown of what else is out there, what other entities and 
and things. So it's, um, it was a very powerful, the most recent one for me was a very precise download. It was, um, it was, I didn't leave my body, but it was like, almost like there was a Rubik's cube in my brain being, uh, you know, worked on the whole time. And, and I was every single issue or every single thing I'm dealing with, um, there was creativity, there was problem solving. It was all of my thoughts were basically on a screen in front of me. So the random thoughts that come in, my thinking mind, what I was actually sort of verbalizing, all this stuff was all right there. So I could just see it. And I would just, sometimes I just shake my head. I'm like, Brian, what are you doing? Like, why do you even, why are you doing that? Why are you play, like playing these games with yourself? You know, cause we do that. Our minds are very tricky sometimes when we, when we're in autopilot. So it was, it was an amazing experience, but um, it's one of those things that, you know, it's because it's become very popular in recent years too, that you really have to be careful that you're connecting with a shaman or a group that, um, that is authentically doing this for the right reason. And set and setting is a huge thing. Like this was an absolutely beautiful ceremony. There's four people conducting it. Um, 20 sound bowls maybe in the room, instruments from the Amazon, all kinds of things, and four beautiful voices singing in harmonies. And just that in and of itself, I just sat there and, and pretty much cried the whole time because it was just so beautiful. I love, I love, I love hearing people's experience with doing ayahuasca. And I think that it really is like going at a deeper level. And you know what? My Reiki master, who is also a breathwork instructor, told me that she's done ayahuasca and she does breathwork and she swears by breathwork. And she's like, for me, breathwork feels more powerful than an ayahuasca ceremony. Like you can get deeper with a breathwork session in an hour than having to go to ceremony for like six to eight hours or two or three days. And I just thought, wow, like that's like, that's a real testament to the power of our breath as a human being. And like, this is what we have as being a living, a living being, right? So I, I really love, I really love what you're sharing. And, and now you're kind of jumping into the tonality of the subconscious mind. So I would love to talk about that. Like just share for you how, how you explain to your clients or when you share with people and you talk about the mind and creating our thoughts and these stories that you mentioned and subconscious thinking. I would love to hear your insight on all of that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, thoughts are really, really interesting. Um, we do have like a, such a negative bias. So I think there's something, you know, the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. Um, they say that maybe 70 to 80% of those are just wired negative. And that's because of our evolution. We're so used to being worried about the saber-toothed tiger on the tree line. So we're kind of wired that way to be worrying about things, but we don't have those worries uh, in modern day. And then the fact that of those thoughts, 90% of them repeat day over day. So we're really in Groundhog Day for most of the time. So um, getting into the subconscious mind, a lot of times thoughts will really help us understand what's going on. So by practicing some, self, some um, type of self-examination through meditation every day of stillness, you start to notice your thoughts and you start to be able to say, hey, who's that? Like, where is that coming from? That was dark and I, I didn't, you know, that wasn't, but thoughts are things. So, you know, you talk about the law of the universe, thoughts are things, they really are things, but they're not necessarily facts. And so a lot of people believe that thought that comes in. So a lot of those thoughts come in are shit that we, developed in our early childhood. So those things about not being good enough and, you know, the dysfunction in our families or potential abuse or 
all of those things where along the way, somebody sort of stepped on that little dream a bit and, and cast some shade on that light. That's the shit that comes up oftentimes in our adult life. And that prevents us from, from really living our full best life. So um, there's a lot to unpack when it comes to, you know, the subconscious and, and all of this work, you know, we talk about breath work and what you said earlier too, I completely agree with breath work is such a clean, amazing way to access the subconscious without having to go to a ceremony and potentially, you know, cover your, yourself with vomit and everybody else around you. Like it's, you know, you can just do the breath, but, um, but it's a nonstop process and it's not like, you know, you get there and like, Oh, look at this. It's all clear. And I'm enlightened. I mean, I think that, you know, that's another thing that I, I tell my clients is that, you know, this is a path that you're going to have to continue to, to go on. I mean, and if we leave it, you know, if we don't, if, you know, it's kind of like weeding the garden, you know, planting the right seeds in the garden at the right time of the year, pulling the ones that we don't want. And, you know, we, I talk to my clients about replacing thoughts as well. So if there's a consistent negative thought, you know, we can put something else in place that they can remember to sort of trigger that thing and say, like, boom, okay, let's, let's talk about this or this affirmation or something that's, that, uh, that really feels for them. But you got to keep that tending that garden uh, through your practice and through awareness. And, you know, because it's, uh, like I said, it's like, it's almost like gravity. It'll just keep growing back up and next oh, thing it'll yeah. be a mess again. And, and in my earlier days, I mean, that's sort of the, the cycle that I went through. I went, you know, I would do the work and then sometimes I would just go blow myself up. Uh, the old Brian would come into play and, you know, uh, you know, I had a crazy sort of uh, a period of my life, my electric years with like drugs and alcohol and, and partying. And it was just, that was sort of what was, uh, you know, was felt, felt right for me at the time. But I mean, and then you go into the spiritual side of things and, and, you know, you have to sort of keep the consistency to create the momentum. Oh, I love what you just said. Yeah. Keep the consistency to create the momentum. That's that last line. That was so good. And I love that you just brought up the metaphor of the mind being like a garden, because this is definitely something that I've heard in, you know, the personal development world and especially when it comes to thoughts. And it was interesting because somebody explained it in a way recently that that hit me in a different spot. And it was that the mind really is like the soil, right? And our thoughts are the seeds. And the thing is our mind subconsciously doesn't care what seeds you put into the soil. It's going to grow them. So if you're putting in negative seeds, negative seeds, negative seeds, you're growing negative thoughts, right? So it really does take that level of conscious awareness and intentionality to pay attention to what seeds am I planting into my mind? What am I focusing on? The focus is literally watering the seeds that you have in your mind. And then of course, like you're talking about the upkeep, right? Like you're going to get weeds and stuff in there because that's part of life. Like negative things are going to happen. Somebody's going to say something that hurts your feelings and that's going to like pour a little bit of gasoline or something on there, like Coca-Cola, whatever metaphorically you want to talk about is getting put into your garden. Then you have to go and like change, change the soil, like put in fresh water, like whatever it is, but that's totally our responsibility. And the other thing that's coming up for me as I say this is I read a quote a while ago and it was, you know, our pain that was inflicted on us, whether we've experienced like physical, mental, emotional trauma in our life, that is not our fault. We cannot control that. Our responsibility is the healing. And that's really where, that's really where the power comes from. 
And, and it's in the healing that we discover these things that we're talking about, like peace of mind and calmness and just coming back to ourselves. And it's like, it's such a beautiful thing. And have you heard of the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck? Yes. Yeah. Mark Benson, yeah. 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 So I read this book recently and he sheds like such a like unconventional way of seeing problems. Yeah. Think, like the more problems you have, like really the better your life is going to be because it's in solving the problems where you get that freedom and you find what it is you're looking for. So like the more problems you have, like the better it is. And even when you solve yeah. one, solve one problem, there's going to be another problem. Like say you want to make 10 grand, you make 10 grand. The next problem is, okay, well now I want to make 20 grand. Like there's always going to be problems yeah. to solve, but it's like how you see those problems as opportunities instead. Right. So I kind of went off a little bit on a tangent there, but this is like what you were sharing just totally led me down that road of like nurturing your mind and like what problems really are and like what that can give to us. Yeah. And I love what you said about healing because it is our responsibility and too many of us want to point fingers at somebody else, especially our parents. You know, a lot of people that will be like, you know, fuck, and they don't forgive. And, you know, they're, so they create even more of a story around that and more of a wall around that where they won't forgive and just like, fuck, let that shit go. Everybody did the best they could for you in the moment. Let's just assume that. And now you're responsible for your own healing. You're responsible for your own thing. And, and um, you know, just, but if you do dedicate your life to just chasing, you know, like I did for a while, like just chasing stuff, that's not where the healing is. You gotta, you gotta do the work. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I talk to my clients about and, and anybody else who will listen, it's, it's really, um, it's about establishing a firm um, a discipline of habits. Because when you have those habits every day, when you protect the time to do a practice, we could talk about techniques all day long, and there's so many beautiful techniques, but if you're not pra practicing or you're protecting the time and you're leaving that to be the last thing that's on your list, it's never going to happen. So, you know, taking that time every day to heal, like taking a few seconds, even if it's 10 minutes, just to do an examination, feel your body, notice your thoughts, just kind of get out of your head for a second and just go inside and, and you know, uh, there's healing from that because with, you know, as I mentioned with consistency, you'll notice things start to change. And, um, with, you know, as you start to become more positive, you become energetically, you start vibrating at a higher frequency and you're attracting more good things into your life. Oh yeah. I, I love what you're saying about bringing in this consistency and discipline and how you're using those words instead of being motivated because I, I was having a conversation with one of my clients recently and she, so I, I, I do some personal training as well as like mindset coaching. And she was just saying, yeah, I'm like really unmotivated to work out and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? Motivation is unreliable. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's unreliable. Cause if you think about it, it just comes and goes. And, and so what you need to do, what is possible to do is get connected to your why and your purpose and your intention of why do you want to work out? Why do you want to feel better? Why do you want to look a certain way? What is the purpose of that? Like, what is, what, what is that going to bring to your life? Right? Because what, what I noticed is that when we get clear on our purpose and our intention, then what, what turns into being motivated is that I'm just going to be consistent with taking that action. And that develops discipline, which then fuels consistency. And that's how you keep going with those daily habits that you're talking about. And I love that you bring this up because I, so I use an app called Insight Timer for meditation mm -hmm. and I've been using it for years and actually tomorrow, I'm really excited. Tomorrow's my 500th day in a row of meditating. Amazing. Yeah. And it's like, 
the reason why I was able to do that and will continue to do that is because like you said, making it a priority. I meditate in the morning. I had a coaching call this morning at 7 a.m. I got up at 6 a.m. specifically to have time to meditate and journal before I had this call. Right. And it's, be, yeah, go on. No, I'd be just curious to, to, for you to share what you've sort of journaled in your experience from day one to 500. Like there, that's, that's amazing uh, uh, investment in yourself. So um, be curious to see what, uh, how your notes have changed from, uh, from yeah. That. I think, so I've been meditating more consistently than I've been journaling, but now I've been journaling consistently every day. And a lot of people get hung up on like, I don't know what to journal on, right? And for me, it's, I will open my book and sometimes my journaling is about being grateful. You know, I'm just writing about what I'm grateful for. Sometimes I open my book and I'm like, I'm really not in a good headspace. And I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make my dreams come true with my business. I'm not hitting my money goals. Like I'll be straight up. Like this is, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. And then there's other days where I'll open it and I'm going to write about like my crazy dreams of what I want in my future. And it's just, it's just this container and this space for me to just open up and write what comes to me. And I think because like you said, just being mindful and, and having this practice of meditating and connecting with myself and doing this inner work, it is easier for me to open up my journal and write, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that that's what people, they get hung up on. I don't know what to write. And you know, they, they just don't know what to write. Like, like it has to be done a perfect way and it doesn't. Yeah, no, no, exactly. Uh, I, and anchoring and gratitude, like you said, at least if nothing else that day, just write down a few things you're grateful for. Uh, 10 years ago, I was watching Oprah and I started my gratitude journal, write five things a day. Uh, not just like check the box, but write it and, and take a moment to try to feel that, the emotion that comes with it. And totally. because gratitude is more power. It's like the breath. It's so much more powerful than people realize uh, in terms of wiring our, our, our feelings in our mind. There's a Dr. Uh, Andrew Huberman, you listen to any of his stuff? No, I haven't heard uh, of him yet. Yeah, he's a, he runs the, um, uh, um, like, at Stanford, sort of like a neurology area, but he's a really cool guy, and he's on all, like, a lot of the big podcasts talking about brain health, but he's talking about gratitude and how it really is a practice and how they've done a lot of studies on that and how it's, like, one of the, the easiest, most accessible things we can get to to increase our well-being that most people would overlook, you know, and, and the challenge, like you said, is the days that you're having that issue or worry about your finance finances, or you're just woke up feeling like shit that day. That's when the gratitude practice is most important to sort of overcome that moment to keep you on your path. And, you know, because you have that practice, you have that habit established, you get it done. And then, you know, it's those things, uh, when you keep those little promises to yourself every day, you know, that builds your confidence too over time. Totally. So just a whole cascade of things that come from it. Totally. I love what you just said about building confidence because another thing that I, that I do with myself and I do with clients is self-acknowledgement. So I started this practice last year and it was writing down like three things a day that I acknowledge myself for. And this is amazing because like going back to the garden of the mind is when we are looking for positive things about ourselves, then we start to wire that direction of thinking rather than looking at 
Because the irony is when we're being self-critical and we're judging ourselves and think, oh, I should do this, I should do that. Underneath of that is the commitment to greatness. You know, there is that commitment of wanting to do better, be better, you know, be a, an incredible parent, have, you know, enriching health and overflowing finance. The commitment's there, but it's just the filter that we see it is backwards. Mm -hmm. And so this acknowledgement practice that I've started doing with myself and my clients is unbelievable because, you know, I will literally like, as an example, I said to my client, I said, I want you to start doing this and it can be as simple as acknowledging yourself for not hitting snooze on the alarm or as, you know, intense as supporting your daughter when her fiance died in a motorcycle accident, like a month before his baby was supposed to be born. Like there's so many, like, and th those are real examples to be honest, but I'm just saying there is so much that we don't give ourselves credit for that we've done in our life. Like all like the small things, the big things, like all of it, like there's so much, there's so many ways that we can empower ourselves instead of beating ourselves down, thinking that we have to fight our way back up. Like that's kind of the corporate world and tonality that's just been programmed into society. Right. So yeah. that's another thing that I think is really important along with gratitude is that like self-acknowledgement. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, share some wins with yourself and, you know, and use your name too. Like I, I recall when I was in that uh, ceremony, uh, at one point I'm sort of sitting upright and it's pitch dark in there and the music's blaring. And then they turned a little tiny light on over there. They're, they were doing something. And I just sat there and I go, Brian, you are, look at you, dude. Like, just turned 48 that weekend. I'm like, look at this, man. Look what you look where you are right now. Like, how cool is this? You know, and just little things like that. It just makes you feel so good. And it's funny, I just remembered that, you know, from that moment. But we don't do that enough uh, by default. We like to sort of think we're motivating ourselves by kicking our own asses all the time. But I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And back to the gratitude thing, I, I had a realization recently where you know, even if you're in a really tough situation, some people might argue, well, it's really hard for me to be grateful. And like, why? Here's, here's what the theme is. Why should I accept where I am? Because there's this fear that accepting what is or where someone's at is that it's going to perpetuate that. But really what it is, is that putting in the, the feeling and the vibration of gratitude will attract more of what you're actually grateful for. It doesn't mean that it's like condoning whatever it is that you're dealing with. It's that you're, you're projecting that positive energy into whatever it is you're dealing with to say, hey, there's things that I appreciate about this. And there's obviously things that you know you want to fall away. But the, the, the thing is, when we pay attention to what it is that we want, then that is what comes more into our life through law of attraction. And so I think that's, that's another part of gratitude as well that I think people kind of get hung up on. They're like, well, I don't want to be grateful for the things that I don't want. It's like, you're not, you're grateful for the things that you like and that you love and that you want in your life. And that's the difference. Absolutely. Like, and it's difficult to do that sometimes to, to raise your own vibration in the moment to actually be thinking about where you want to be and sort of embodying that feeling rather than, uh, you know, thinking about it through the lens of the past, expecting more of the same, you know, it's kind of like, um, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, I don't know if you follow any of his work, but he's like, you know, that guy that's always about creating that feeling of something that hasn't happened yet uh, in the body, you know, creating that, that real feeling in your heart of your heart opening and expanding, um, even when things aren't so great, because uh, it just, well, first of all, just raises your level of well-being in that moment. But then it does it, you do manifest so much greater things and you get to get out of that, that loop. Um, rather than sort of dwelling on that 
getting more of that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people that I've been coaching this year are people who are just sort of frozen in anxiety. That seems to be the biggest thing. And, and it really just, it's really about bringing them back to the present moment more often. So just because everyone's worried, really, really fearful this year. So um, I, I really just kind of been keeping it simple in terms of just kind of giving them tools and ways to bring themselves out of that sort of fear and into the moment. You know, I've, and I've been, it's been a wonderful year in helping people because I've had so many people who, you know, people who have panic attacks multiple times a day who no longer have panic attacks at all and because they have the tools or very, very less, you know, and they're able to quickly find their way out with their breath. So um, I really just focus on rewiring them to be able to find that sort of center much quicker. And, and when they lose their way to bring themselves back and then over time, that begins to, to increase their window of tolerance. So they're able to get to, you know, they can float it in and out. Uh, we call it kind of free and easy in the marketplace where you're kind of, you're, you're okay, you're going with the ebbs and the flows and, oh, the shitty email or the letter comes in. It's like, oh, okay, we're okay. You know, and just like finding that space, finding that place to, to be able to float um, without kind of tipping over or going into the red zone. No, I love that. And I, I love what you're sharing about, you know, this, this whole theme with anxiety this year, because they say that anxiety is worry about the future. Yeah. And I yeah. think right now there's just so much evidence of things being out of our control with the pandemic, like lockdown. Like I know, for example, Ontario is like really shutting down right now, like right before yeah. Christmas. And even mm -hmm. myself being in BC in Vancouver, like we're not able to go to Vancouver Island to see my family for Christmas. Like things are just really shutting down and it's hard to, keep faith when there's so much up against us you know yeah and i think yeah. that i think that yeah it's, it's a really tough time in the world but it's also just an opportunity for people to become more resilient and like you said do the things like coming back to the present moment and really taking that one day at a time because there's just so much out of our control but how we perceive ourselves and our reality and our world that is always in our control yeah, hundred percent. And now, now I can see where you're talking about uh, growing up in nature. I was actually in um, on the island about three weeks ago for the first time in my life, and I was just absolutely blown away by how beautiful it was there. It was incredible there. Oh yeah, yeah. So I grew up on Vancouver Island, and um, both my my parents my parents are separated, but my mom and my stepdad had a four acre lot on the ocean. And then yeah. my, my biological dad had like 10 acres, you know, with forests. And I used to run, like just run by myself up in the forest, you know. And I remember my dad used to go out on the balcony and like literally yell at me, like, call me in to come back and eat, yeah. you know. Whereas now you'd get like a text message, like, hey, dinner's ready. You know what I mean? No, exactly. So, well, it's funny because, I mean, I, I've got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And, you know, I've been practicing them with them for um, – I guess together for about two years now and you know it's not always consistent but um i try to 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 give them that opportunity as much as i possibly can so i, I every opportunity we can there's no devices or maybe a phone for a picture but um to be in the forest to be in the lake to be their feet in the sand and the mud to earth to connect to that energy and you can just see the difference you know um in their they they don't they stop wanting stuff they just stop needing things they don't want to see the screens they don't need this they don't need that they're just playing in the moment and i mean that's what kids are kids do best you know they're they're so naturally curious and 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 
present in the moment. But these days, you know, within the urban world we live in, I mean, a lot of kids don't have an opportunity to see any more trees than they might see one or two in a park somewhere if they're lucky, you know? So it's, uh, so to have that, to grow up like that, it's such a blessing. And I, you know, I, I urge all of my clients who are, are parents to, to try to, you know, obviously get into nature as much as possible for themselves, but for their children as well. I mean, it's such a, there, there's actually studies too, like, like as you mentioned earlier, just the, a walk through nature uh, on your blood pressure and all these other, all these other or markers that, that come down and, and stabilize just being in nature. Oh yeah. I would love actually, if you can talk more about your kids and mindfulness and just how that, how that's impacting them, because if, you know, of course I will have parents listening to this episode and if they can bring more of that into their children's lives, especially with this year, you know, I feel, I really feel for young, young kids, just kids up to mid twenties where this is supposed to be a very social time of your life. You know, graduations are canceled, universities online, birthdays are now like parades of cars going around the neighborhood, which is great, but it's just not the same and it's very isolating. So I can only imagine how critical at this point in the world and time, how critical it is to bring mindfulness to children and youth. So I would, I would love if you could just go deeper into that. Cause I think this would be like really important information. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, my, mine are six and eight. So they're still at that point where, you know, we're, th their lives kind of revolve around their mother and I still, and, you know, a couple friends, I really do feel for the, for the, for the, for the, the older kids or the, the younger teenagers, because the, uh, you know, we're, we're connection animals and being isolated is very, very difficult and unnatural. But as far as mindfulness goes for the kids, I mean, we do, we do a practice a few times a week and, you know, we've got, uh, I, I have a, a, they have a special focus rock. It's actually a crystal. Uh, they each had their own, it's in a special box and we only pull it out to practice. So I always tell parents and adults really that, you know, it's, there's a place, it should be a place in your home that you sort of designate for practice, like whether your cushions here or whatever it is, just that space energetically there's there's memory there uh for that space so as soon as they get into that space and they have their little rock they take it out they already calm down they're already you know their their, their bodies just sort of know we're going to practice and uh, you know it's I, I do the exact same thing with the kids as i do with the adults i do a little bit of breath work with them as well just to kind of bring them down a little bit so we'll just take a few breaths i'll get them to even hold their breath at the top and you know they're like doing that whole thing with their cheeks and stuff and being dramatic and it's really cute but it's funny at some point you can you know and, and they, they'll resist it too sometimes if they're playing they don't want to sit and, and practice but they get in that place and then you just start to see their little bodies just start to find some stillness and peace right and i've had them both say to me after a practice like you know it's only like five or ten minutes even like thank you daddy like i feel so much better you know and and you just see how calm they become or even before sleep, you know, doing a body scan. But with kids that age, you know, you kind of have to keep it fun. So yeah, so I do a, a beach vis visualization with them where we will go through, say, you know, what, what do you see at the beach? What do you hear at the beach? You know, what are you tasting? What are you smelling? Um, and all those things just to really kind of get their minds into that sort of visualization process, which is uh, very powerful anybody or will do um, a mindful hearing thing because I always tell the kids, I'll do like little children's meditations every so often that mindfulness is a superpower and that, you know, use the example of Wonder Woman who 
it's always so calm and cool under pressure or like Spider-Man with his ability to sort of sense and really feel what's going on. And, uh, and we'll do some mindful hearing exercises as well, where I'll use a singing bowl or some chimes or, or strings from my guitar to make a sound. And they'll really focus their ears in on listening to that. And then when the sound stops, they'll put their hand up. So just like fun things, but you know, the Dalai Lama, had a quote, um, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly, but he basically said, if every eight-year-old learned to meditate, the world uh, would be void of violence in one generation. So whether or not that's true, I think there would be a hell of a lot less violence and a lot more stable people, you know, adults if every child started to understand the process of mindfulness. And I think that, you know, things are trending that way a little bit. Oh, I love this. Do you notice with, you know, really implementing this in a playful way with your kids that they respond more than react to situations because they just they have more awareness have you noticed that 100 percent. no i can see what they do now i mean i I, my son in particular he's the younger one and i can see when he gets into that to that zone where he starts to get really upset about something and and you know on the border of maybe even being hysterical about it and then you can see him consciously starting to grab his breath and pull and, and reel himself in and self-regulate in the moment. And that's like, a, that's a proud, proud dad moment there when you can see him like really take the reins out of his own emotions and, you know, learn to, even though he has already reacted, you know, because he's still little, um, but then he's able to sort of reel it back in and, and over time he'll be able to do that and respond more effectively. Oh, I love, I love, I love hearing that. There's uh, one of my mentors, uh, Christy Whitman, she is all about universal laws, divine energy. She does a lot of channeling as well. And she shares often about her kids. And of course she does meditation and they're just very much aware of like the law of attraction and, you know, the divine energy of the universe. And I love it when she just shares examples and her kids are a little bit older. They're, you know, 10, 11, but she just shares, you know, one of them one day had a bit of a fit and she just kind of left them and they came back later and really took responsibility for themselves because they just had that awareness and that awareness is a hundred percent developed from what you're doing with your kids with, you know, just giving them that time to be playful and and learn and connect with themselves. And, And ultimately that's obviously going to allow them to be their best version of themselves as they grow up. So I love this. And I don't hear often of parents who, are doing mindfulness practices with their kids. And so that's why I really wanted to open up the door for you to share about this because I think it's so important. And it, it gets to be easy. You know, like this is obviously a bonding time with your kids. And actually, let me ask you this. How, how is your, what is your relationship like having this mindfulness practice with your kids? Uh, I think it's, I think it's more powerful. I mean, it's, it's really, like any relationship, it's about, um, you know, it's about listening and about being present and connecting on a deeper level. So, um, you know, I, I, it's really, we are really well bonded and, and it's, uh, I feel pretty grateful uh, for, for being a dad to those two kids. I love that so much. Well, I just wanted to say that I'm, I really love the conversation we had today. I think it flowed beautifully we we talked about breath work we talked about meditation we just talked about so much and i love what you're doing and and i'm so grateful that you know we're choosing to show up especially amidst this pandemic and just help people because you know 
we can thrive. We have so much more available to us that will allow us to get through these tough moments. And it really does start with mindfulness and mindset. So I want to, I want to thank you for coming on today, Brian. And I'm so happy that we got to connect more and learn from each other. And just like, you know, this is so cool because this is the first conversation we've ever had, but I knew that we would have a bond and that we would just be able to bounce ideas off of each other. So I would love if, if you can share how our audience here can connect with you and if they want to work with you or follow you on social media, just let us know where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kayla, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. And it is our first conversation. And uh, I love speaking with like-minded people for, like yourself who are doing great things. Uh, and I love your energy. So thank you. Um, yeah, so people can find me. It's just Brian Coons uh, at Brian Coons at Instagram or BrianCoons.com. That's awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And I'm sure that we're definitely going to continue our conversations. And uh, I'm going to encourage my audience and listeners to follow you because they're just going to have more tools for their pocket. So I want to thank, thank you to the listeners for tuning in. If you can please subscribe, leave a review. And also, of course, go follow Brian. And he has a podcast. You have your podcast as well, right? I do. Yeah. I haven't been as active with the podcast recently, but it's, uh, it's rewire with Brian. That's perfect. Well, they can go and have a listen. So thank you everyone for listening.